Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. I don't know if you listened to Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. I don't know if you remember that. I don't know if you're old enough to remember that. Steven, you remember Paul Harvey? Uh, not really. I feel sad for you. <laughs> Thank you. How about you, Peter? I definitely do remember Paul Harvey as a man. I was probably eight, nine, ten years old. He was on the back end of his career, but I loved the. I would listen to news radio and all the boredom just to get to his stories, man. It was yeah. great. It was great. Steven, you want, you know, during a commercial break or some point of today, get yourself on uh, on the internet, the www whatever and f- look up just one Paul Harvey story and listen to one of his the rest of the stories. It's a couple minutes of your life, but there's nothing like it. It's still nothing like it. Uh there's nothing like Dave Bartu, the college football matrix uh who's joining us. Uh you can follow him on Twitter at college football matrix. He's joining us now. Do you remember Paul Harvey? Oh, of course, dude. I'm I'm in my mid fifties. <laughs> of course, I remember and know who Paul Paul Harvey was. I love those little stories because he'd always surprise you. You know, he'd tell you about some farmer who had a tractor and then struck oil, and you know, it, it was always uh, entertaining. And uh, you know, the rest of the story. Nobody doing that anymore. They ought to do it. They ought to make a movie about Paul Harvey. I'd, I'd watch that movie. Uh, right. Bart, yeah. Part two, uh, let's talk a little bit of Pac-12. Uh, I just want, first, let's just start with your general takeaways. You're a numbers guy. You crunch, you crunch the data. You crunch the metrics. What did you see this season? Oh, out of the Pac-12? Yep. Out of, out of, out of, well, out of, the, out of the Pac-12, is it's got to start with the offense. I mean, that, it is the offensive numbers that the Pac-12 put up this year uh, led to the country. It was the most prolific uh, offense team by team uh, in college football. So, uh, you know, when when I'm when I'm thinking when I'm thinking Pac-12, I'm I'm looking at the offensive side. I think they had, I think they had four of the top ten in total offensive scoring efficiency with Oregon, USC, uh, UCLA. Um, trying to remember who was right up there. Now it also means that they had some really crappy defense. <laughs> In in the conference as well, uh, but it was absolutely offensive dominated. And I think the biggest thing, though, besides the offense, is something you and I have talked about for years, and it has to do with perception of a conference. Mm. And what have this. I always told you yeah. on your show about perception of a conference nationally? It's only as good as the Best biggest team. brand. Yeah, that's it, right? It, it, it doesn't matter. If Washington State goes twelve and zero, and Arizona goes twelve and zero, and Colorado goes eleven and one, those aren't perceived that that that's not perceived as a good conference because your bottom brands, your bottom end recruiters are are doing well, and so with the with the Pac twelve, you have uh, you had all your big brands doing well this year, and so I, I think that actually fueled 
the resurgence uh, of the conference is because those brands were doing what people expected of them nationwide. But offensively, look, the average the average team out of 12, the average team was 44th in the country mm. in offensive scoring efficiency. Out of 131, the average team out of 12 was 44th. I think the next closest was the average was 57th. So it was an amazing offensive run, and it was an amazing run for the brands uh, of the Pac-12. Dave Bartu, College Football Matrix, is with us. And some of this is, you know, people are probably hearing you for the first time on this show, but maybe can you go back to how you started? What is it that kind of got your attention? When did it go from you kind of dabbling into you turning this, you know, the College Football Matrix into a thing? Right. Well, it's evolved. I think that's the biggest thing is is the data and my interest in what it's done is is constantly evolved. But it started in 2008. I was driving between analytics jobs that I'd created for myself. Back then, nobody knew what behavior analytics was. And so I ended up creating positions for myself out of U of O uh, in in healthcare and in banking. And as I was driving between them, I'm going down I-5, and I hear this guy named Colin Cowherd in 2008 talking about uh, college football and how talent drove college football betting lines. So I got to my next job, and boom, I started pulling all the recruiting data. And that's where it started, because I saw the behavior uh, in recruiting as it related to national titles, what was that, 15 years ago? Yeah. (laughs) You know, and, and so I just dabbled in it for years, and then I started going into what was the difference between recruiting and the rest of the outcomes, and that was coaching, uh, and it just keeps moving along, and then I get on the radio, and then it becomes local, and then it becomes national, and I've written for everybody. Uh, and today, we are, you know, my firm is the largest college football coaching staffing firm in the country. That's our new niche. That is what we dominate right now is we help build staffs around the country. Bartu, as you – do that stuff there's things that are interesting to fans there's things that Mm -hmm. you know the the programs want to know how different are those two things when you're talking to maybe a coaching staff or an ad who you're consulting with versus just the stuff that we like to get into and geek out on because we all love college football (laughs) It, it, it is two different worlds you know it's well one example you and i've talked about it on the coaching search side Okay, I've, I've always maintained, now that I've gotten into the world on the other side of the curtain, behind the door, right, what I now understand is there's two rules of a coaching search at any level in college football. Okay, number one, this one is almost true every single time, 99% of the time, the fans don't know anything. It's all wrong. Everything you see is wrong. Everything you see is wrong. So that's your first bullet point. The second one is when something comes out that is true, it is intentionally given out. It wasn't by accident, didn't get leaked, it was intentionally given out. Now, there's a third bullet point, which just says refer back to bullet point number one, <laughs> but as part of the coaching searches, this is what I always advise fans, is wherever the information is coming from, ask yourself, if that person is lying, will they lose connectivity to the head coach? And if the answer is yes, they will lose connectivity, then that person won't lie because they can't lose it. Getting connectivity is so 
valuable and so hard. So when you're parsing through coaching searches, folks, find the people that can't afford to lose connectivity at all. Because I guarantee you, you lie to a head. I, I was on the phone earlier today with a head coach, and one of his uh, one of his unit guys um, did something he wasn't supposed to be doing, talking to his agent, being in public, and he was fit to be tied. He wanted to fire him. And, I mean, one little thing and it's gone. So I, I think the on the coaching search side, what everybody sees that is out there is almost entirely wrong, and what little is right is intentionally put out to either misdirect or to confirm something. Dave Bartu, the College Football Matrix, is with us. Uh, we're coming off signing day, early signing period. I know you mm-hmm. study recruiting rankings, four stars, three stars, five stars. You also sort of have looked at um, you know, what coaches do with that talent. How do those two things correlate, uh, in, and how do you measure you know, the, uh, the ability, is it the ability for somebody to coach or is it just getting the Jimmies and the Joes and, and that correlates to success? <laughs> no, it doesn't correlate to success. So rule of thumb is 65% of college football is recruiting. The other 35% is coaching. There's maybe like 1%, 5%, somewhere in there, depending on what number, depends on what time of year, is scheduling. So recruiting, coaching, and scheduling, that goes into everything. everything anything else that happens is good and bad luck. Uh, but overall, that's all that college football is. So, But from a recruiting standpoint, this year, 2022, was actually the biggest year I've ever seen for recruiting as it correlated to wins and losses. So, you know, we got 131 FBS teams. They play 12 games apiece, Okay. In games, in all of those football games, I think it's 865 regular season games, 76% of all those football games were won by the better high school recruiter. Better high school recruiter. Didn't even account for transfers. Just the better high school recruiter, 76% of all the football games. So does recruiting matter? Good gracious. It matters immensely, but that doesn't mean it's everything. You still have to have good coaching because, you know, that at a 30%, uh, there, there's a big difference perception-wise going 10-0 and 7-3. and 3. So coaching is still extremely valuable, but if you're having to pick one over the other, the guy who can evaluate and recruit the talent best is usually going to win the football game. Yeah, because I look at the recruiting rankings, and it was pointed out, like, Georgia wins the national championship, wins it going away, and then people look at their recruiting class going, oh, they're just going to win it again next year. Look at their schedule. Look at their recruiting class. And I go, well, hold up. Like, you know, there's some really good teams in the top ten in recruiting who were nowhere near the playoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, look at, look at Texas A&M. So, so coming into this season, there were four teams that had three key areas in common with the last 23 national champion winners. Okay. They were all top ten recruiters for the previous four years. They all came into the season with an offensive and defensive coordinator that were three-star or better in our grading system. And we've graded every coach since 2008 that's worn a headset, over 7,000 guys. So you have to have a three-star or better OC and DC. You have to have top ten recruiting. And you have to be top 25 in scoring efficiency the year before. you got to be good before you win it all. So this year, there were only four teams that matched those three things, only four. One of them was Georgia. 
their weakness, new defensive staff, lost a bunch of players. But your great teams, losing players doesn't matter. But that was Georgia's weakness. Alabama, they, their weakness was they had a very weak offensive coordinator for the third, third year. They had Mike Loxley, lost it. Bill O'Brien last year didn't win it either. So I had Alabama very weak because they had a poor offensive coordinator. Um, the third team, Ohio State. I thought they were weak because they brought in a new defensive coordinator. His defense is hard to learn, and they fall apart in the fourth quarter when the, the pace of play wears them down. So Ryan Day runs 75, 80 plays a game. Jim Knowles, his defenses over his career fall apart in the fourth quarter because the offensive coordinator doesn't slow it down. That was their weakness, but all those teams won big. And the fourth one, which matched everybody else in talent and coaching and previous year performance, was Texas A&M. And they, for whatever reason, they posted the 100th best scoring efficiency offense this year. 100. You're a top five recruiter. You go four and eight. That was one of the worst seasons we've ever seen in the last 20 years out of a top five recruiter. So it can happen. Why? I don't know. All the pieces were in place. Everybody said, oh, they were way overrated. No, they weren't. They just didn't achieve through their potential, and that's a Jimbo Fisher problem. Dave Bartu is the college football matrix. Dave, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you sort of the formula to win a Heisman Trophy. There's a whole bunch of quarterbacks in the Pac-12 that are coming back probably thinking, can I be a finalist? What do you need to fall into place to get to the downtown athletic club as a finalist? Uh, plus, we'll look maybe a little bit at Oregon and Oregon State, the efficiency that you see with those two staffs and their players this season. Dave Bartu is the college football matrix. Stick around. we got more with Bartu next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Dave Bartu is the college football matrix. Been kind enough to stick around for another segment. Let's talk a little bit about recruiting and the correlation between coaching and recruiting. Uh, I want to pivot a little bit towards the individual awards. Uh, you know, you see Caleb Williams win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, Oregon has Bo Nix coming back. Michael Penix Jr. is at Washington. Cam Rising announcing this week he's coming back to Utah. Uh, Jaden Delora, Cam Ward, uh, really good quarterbacks in the Pac-12 conference. But Dave Bartu, let's talk about the formula to win a Heisman. I know that you have written about this and studied this. How do you win a Heisman Trophy in today's world? Well, it's it's pretty broad. It's pretty broad. But there's two things all of them have started the season with. They have started the season with a team that finishes in the top 25 and they have started the season with an offensive coordinator that we have graded three and a half stars or better. Ooh. Okay, so when you're talking about these guys, so you mentioned like Delora at Arizona, right? Fascinating watch. Arizona led the country uh, in explosive running plays, I believe, as a percentage. Okay, their, their offense was dynamic. Are they going to be top 25 next year? Hell no, they're not. No. Right? So don't even waste the buck on him. But when you start looking around the conference, look at where all the good quarterbacks are, look at their offensive coordinators and the potential that they have. So you got you got Penix at Washington, right? We can easily see that as being a top 25 team. Yep. Uh, Grubb, we talked about this on the show preseason. Who, who are our you know four big offensive coordinators? Grubb was one of them in the Pac-12. 
So does Penix check the two boxes of being a contender? Yeah, he does. Um, at Washington State? No, we can't check those boxes. We don't expect them to be top 25. Oregon and Oregon State. I think they're going to both be ranked in the top 25 to start the season. Uh, Oregon State, you, you've got Lindgren there. He's, he's, he's three-and-a-half star or better OC, so whoever's quarterback at Oregon State's going to have a shot. Uh, at Oregon, a lot of people don't know the new offensive coordinator, Will Stein. He's out of uh, UTSA. The guy put up the 11th best scoring efficiency season in college football this year in his first year of calling plays. Huge ceiling. Don't know what the floor is. That's a little bit scary, but huge ceiling. So Nick's coming back to Oregon. There's another top 25 potential team with a rising star offensive coordinator. Then you go down south. We, we know, you know, Williams is going to be set to repeat. That's a top 25 team talent. That's a top 25 head coach. Uh, Chip Kelly with Dante Moore. I know he's new, so let's throw him out of contention as a freshman. Uh, and then Cam Rising, Utah, will they be top 25? Is that where they're going to be? Possibly. Uh, you know, Ludwig is right on the edge between three and three-and-a-half-star offensive coordinator. So if I'm, if I'm splitting wood on this one and I have to go top five, uh, I'll throw Cam Rising out of the discussion because not only do I not really believe in the OC, I think that's a defensive-minded program, I also look at that, and look, they run 59% of the time. He's not going to get the snaps to really be that impressive and be a contender. Yeah, it's fascinating, too, because when I think of rising, something not quite, you know, and I looked at the quarterbacks in the Pac-12 today, and it was really interesting because there were eight quarterbacks who threw for 3,000-plus yards last season. That tied Mm -hmm. the best ever in conference history. Six of them are coming back, and rising – just past 3,000 yards, like, you know, you wouldn't think. And Jaden Delora was second in the conference in passing yards, and, and he's coming back. So uh, I like it. So if you're, if you're laying money here, you're looking at Caleb Williams in a repeat, Michael Penix Jr., and maybe, uh, you know, DJ Uyangalele at, at Oregon State or Bo Nix as a, as a dark horse candidate. Yeah, you know, I, I, would, I would say in that order, right? It, it, it's, it's probably got to be Penix and – uh, and Williams, uh, and then some of the other other contenders in there, uh, but yeah, and rising in the discussion, I'm I'm not buying it. Uh, that that'd be the one guy that people might say, oh, I'm interested in that guy. I don't think it is. Now, outside of it, okay, I'm gonna, this is my hot take on the Heisman. Yeah. All right, everybody's heard of Brett Maine at North Carolina, right? Right. Right. I mean, he's I think he's third in in Heisman betting in terms of odds. Totally bet against him. Don't go there. They, they have a bad defensive coordinator in Gene Chizik. Longo, top ten offensive coordinator in college football, just left for Wisconsin. They bring in Chip Lindsey, who is ranked 317th out of 601 offensive coordinators in our system since 2009. He doesn't have the offense to get it done if he could possibly do it. Yeah. You're Same talking about Drake May, May, right, the kid, the kid yeah, that yeah. we saw in the, Drake, in the holiday bowl. Yeah. yeah, if you could somehow fade him, do it. But don't bet on him because for him to win it, it'd be the first time, like I said, in 23 years with an offensive coordinator that bad that he won, that somebody won a Heisman. We're talking to Dave Bartu, College Football Matrix. I tried to grade Dan Lanning this year, and I struggled with it. Maybe I should have called you. But what do the numbers tell you? What do the numbers tell you about Dan Lanning's first season? Stop calling uh, plays on fourth down, dude. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I say that a little tongue-in-cheek because it's not just him. We ran the numbers on all of college football. We estimate about 71% of all fourth-down attempts, not in the fourth quarter, were bad calls. They went against the expected value and return of going for it. So you have a ton of coaches that are using their gut to go for it on fourth down, and from a number standpoint, these are really bad decisions. They're costing more games than they're winning. So, but but with Dan, um, you and I, you know, preseason we talked about it. This was a nine and three team. You know, you're going to lose one game because he's a new head coach. Um, Georgia was an expected loss. Uh, you know, and, and so I'd say the only unex- the, the unexpected one uh, was was Civil War. You know, uh, was, was the final game of the season. You look at the numbers, um, the progression, the, the, the offense was amazing this year. Uh, at the beginning of October, it was 44th in the country. By the end of October, they were down to 13th in the country. Uh, and by the end of the year, they finished 6th in total offensive scoring efficiency. I don't know how you ask for anything better. I really don't. And, and the competition that they played against defensively, uh, look, in the middle of October, they had faced the 70 or the 42nd toughest defensive schedule in college football. They ended up with the 59th toughest one. So I thought the offense was much, much better than we expected. Now, I know a lot of people were, were down on the defense, but the defense progressed throughout the year. They start, They ended September. They were 105th in the country. End of October, they were 99th. In November, they got all the way down to 78. So they progressed, which I like to see. I know we don't like being at 78, but they progressed very, very well. The one caveat to this, and I don't think a lot of people realized it, but inside my numbers, and I'll send you these charts, dude. You can check all of this stuff out. This is all new. I just made these just a week ago. They faced the fourth toughest overall offense in college football schedule this year. Fourth toughest overall offensive schedule in college football. So as much as the defense wasn't where we thought it would be, the offenses they faced for the season weren't anywhere near where we thought they would be either. It was a lot harder than uh, than we expected going into September. All right. I want you to look at finally one thing here because, you know, we're, we're approaching, uh, as, you know, in 2024 an expansion of the playoff to 12 teams. Mm-hmm. And I know in the past there's been a certain way that you would advise a – a power five university like Oregon or Oregon State to schedule. How does that change in your mind when you go from four to twelve? How does the non-conference schedule, or maybe even eight conference games versus nine conference games debate? How does that change in your mind when you throw in, hey, they're expanding from four to twelve? Uh, the eight, ver- the eight versus nine is still. I- I'm still 100 percent in the eight corner. You're out of your mind. The more games you play internally, the more it hurts your conference. I'm, I'm working on a presentation right now for an AD that wants to stay at eight in the SEC. And I'm making the argument inside the numbers that it's in their best interest for winning games, for having top 25 teams, for getting teams in the playoffs. Oh, and by the way, when we go to 12, at least once in 10 years, you and I are going to be watching four teams in the final four slots of the playoffs. I can promise you that out of the SEC. But I, I still say go to eight, maximize your potential. Now, the one thing that they haven't addressed in this playoff is how much does non-conference count? And if non-conference counts the same today 
as it will tomorrow in the 12-team playoffs, then why schedule tough, right? If, if there's no incentive to schedule tough, then the, the, it's not going to change the scheduling. September is just going to continue to be bad. And if, if everybody goes to nine, September is going to be worse because there's less non-conference games. I would prefer everybody go to eight and try to wait teams seated seven to 12, put a big weight on level of competition and performance in non-conference games. So you still have, even if you lose tough non-conference schedule, you can still win your conference and get into the playoff. Make mm. two paths, but make the non-conference games of significant value. Otherwise, nothing's going to change. Yeah, because I kind of look at the future schedules, and you know, George is playing for paper soft, uh, tissue paper soft opponents next season in non-conference mm-hmm. games. They'll only get a November test against Tennessee, and you know, I'm I'm looking at the Pac-12, going, why are you playing? Uh, you know, again, nine conference games is what we anticipate. And why would you be playing crossover games with the Big 12 or somebody else unless you're making a payday on that that really makes it worth your while? Exactly. Right? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's a Chewbacca defense. doesn't make any sense. So, you know, and, and Georgia, nobody's <laughs> – Georgia's not getting penalized for playing four cupcakes. If I was in their situation, I'd advise them to do the same. Stay healthy. You know, be ready for the conference. They've never been penalized for it. So why would they change? Now, if the 12-team playoff, if suddenly the rule was, hey, to be in seed 7 through 12, non-conference games count quadruple, guess what? Georgia's going to suddenly schedule really tough because they want both paths. They want to be able to get in with non-conference or get in with a conference schedule. But until they change that, September is just going to continue to be bad or worse. Dave Bartu, I appreciate you. Uh, where can people find you if they want to read you, if they want to study what you're doing besides Twitter, uh, at College Football Matrix, where do they find you? Right, at a, at a McMinimums near you. <laughs> <laughs> buy, buy, buy me a beer. I was actually thinking about that. I'd love to hear people's feedback. If I was having, like, college football roundtables randomly at McMinimum sites, because I'm here in Forest Grove. So, you know, it's like, let's, let's do some roundtables. But uh, you got Twitter, but you also have my text line. So if you think that's a good idea about McMinimums and having that, hit me, text me, 971-217-8419. I love talking college football and anything that has to do with it. I, I love you giving out your number. Like, the, does your phone care. blow up after you do that? Uh, no, well, so sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. It's never been bad. It's right. never been bad. Look, I was the first time I went to SEC Media Days, everybody treated me like crap except two guys. One of them was the SEC commissioner. But everybody else was aloof and just asshats, and I hated all of them. I thought they were cool on Twitter, and then they were a bunch of cold jerks yep. once I got to meet them. And I they thought, are I'm never going to do that. So I do everything I can to help people with shows, be accessible. Doesn't matter who it is, I'm always available to try to make somebody's life a little bit better, a little bit easier in the college football world. Dave Bartu's the best. I appreciate you, my friend. There he is, the college football matrix. Blow his phone up if you'd like. Our big splash is coming up. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth radio show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth radio show. Thanks for listening.